0: Well, my name's Owen, uh, and it's so good to have you with us today. It's really lovely to see, uh, again, lots of familiar faces uh, and one or two new people around as well. I'm so glad that you've come to spend some time with us this afternoon. Uh, I have the privilege of leading the team here at Foundation Church, uh, and so it's great to, to kind of meet you in this very impersonal way. Uh, but it'd be great to say hi and meet you properly afterwards, but just so you know who I am Now... Our first Sunday after launch. That is more, it's definitely, I'm excited about it, even if you aren't, and that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to be excited about it, but I am. Uh, <laughs> and so, as we get going as a church family, having launched, we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at a series called I Am. And the subtitle for that is Getting to Know Jesus in His Own Words. Now, throughout history, an awful lot has been said about Jesus. In fact, almost every adult human has some opinion formed on either a conversation they've had or something they've seen somewhere or maybe something they've read about who Jesus is or was. Many people will offer different suggestions or thoughts about who Jesus is what he's like, what he did. And it's really important, I think, that we make up our minds on who Jesus really was. In fact, actually, I'd say who you think Jesus was and what you think about Jesus and how you respond to him is the single most important decision you'll make in your entire life. And so we could look at all sorts of different sources to help us make our mind up on that. We could read quotes from uh, kind of popular culture. We could dive into some history books and see what some different historic figures have said about Jesus. And all of those may, to some lesser or greater extent, be helpful. But we're going to look in the Bible. In the Bible, we have actually a very reliable historical account of the life of Jesus, including what he said about himself and who he believed himself to be. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at seven key things Jesus said about himself to help us make our minds up about who he was and how we respond to him. And I hope that this will be helpful for you as we go through it, whether you've been going to church your whole life or whether you've just showed up for the first time today, whether you have been a regular week in, week out, or whether you've kind of dipped in and dipped out over time. I hope that this will be helpful for you. So we are going to read from the Bible together from the book of John, which is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. We're going to start uh, today in John chapter 6. Uh, And so I would encourage you to open Bibles if you've got them. If you don't have one or you just don't have one with you, there are some at the back which you would be so welcome to help yourself to. Uh, If you don't have one at all, please do pick one up. Uh, And you can keep that as a gift uh, from us to you and make use of that. The verses will go up on the screen as well. So we're reading from John chapter 6, verses 25 to 58 today. Uh, And instead of reading the whole passage up front, Uh, and then looking back through it, because it's quite long. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to read kind of piece by piece and unpack it as we go. So we're going to take it a chunk at a time. So I'm going to pray first, and then we'll get stuck in. Is that okay? Awesome. Good. Lord God, we thank you for your word. (laughs) We thank you that it's a, it's a brilliant gift from you that's, that's useful for us, it's useful for, for teaching us and training us and showing us uh, how to live in a way that honours and pleases you, how to live uh, the way you designed us to, actually, and we ask that as we read from your word today, that you would help us to see you for who you are. Holy Spirit, would you cause your word to live for us today, uh, to have an impact in our hearts and lives, not just this afternoon, but on into the rest of our walking with you. Amen. Cool. Well, to set some context before we get into the first verses, the, the verses we're about to read today come just after Jesus did something amazing, which many of you may have heard about. Maybe you've uh, kind of heard about it when you You grew up, perhaps you went to Sunday school, or maybe you've just read this lots of times for yourself in the Bible, or or you kind of heard something vaguely about it once. But Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anyone do that. I've never met anyone who could do that. I think that's pretty cool. There's a whole massive crowd of people on a hillside listening to Jesus talk. And they're just loving it as he talks. So much so that the day goes by and as it gets later in the day, they're evidently hungry. And long story short, no one's got any food. They're a long way away from anywhere that they can get food with the exception of a small boy who has a packed lunch. And he says, you know, I've got this. The disciples take it back to Jesus and Jesus prays a blessing over this food and then begins to tear it and share it amongst the many gathered people on the hillside. And not only do they feed 5,000 people from this handful of loaves and fish, but there's so much left over that they they gather it up in baskets and baskets full left over. It's really important that we remember Jesus has just done that when we come to read these next verses. So having fed multitudes of people with a tiny amount of food, miraculous provision, miraculous bread from heaven. Jesus then heads across the lake, which they're nearby, to the other side. And the crowd, obviously enamored with the miracle, set off in pursuit of Jesus And his disciples. And that's where we drop in to the story this morning. So we're going to read from verse 25. They've just caught up with Jesus. Actually, I think we're from verse 26. So they've just caught up with him. uh, And they ask him, how did you get here? Of course, okay. So they found him on the other side of the lake. And they asked him, Rabbi or teacher, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. <laughs> they come to him. They've chased him across the water, and Jesus... Just as he's about to leave, they've all kind of acknowledged, this guy's amazing. They say, he's a prophet from heaven. And then they chase him across the lake. And Jesus says to them, you haven't followed me here because of the sign I performed. You haven't followed me here because you understand who I am or what I came to do. Which The sign was supposed to help them understand who Jesus really was. He says, you haven't followed me here for that reason. You followed me here because... You had your fill, and you want some more. (laughs) You're hungry again. You've come back for some more food. Effectively, he's saying to them, you're ruled by your appetites. You haven't come here to find me because you've really understood who I am, but you got a belly full of food, and everybody loves a free lunch. (laughs) You tasted something that satisfied you but you're hungry again and you want some more. And then he effectively says, this says, don't work for food that spoils. In other words, that, that bread that you had on the hillside, you're just going to get stale and moldy. It's not lasting. It was a great blessing, a great provision in that moment, but it's, it's not going to endure. It's not going to last. He says, don't work for that. Don't pursue me for that. No, work for the food that endures to eternal life. Sounds like good food, right? Food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And they think that sounds good. They want in. And I think we would, wouldn't we? In fact, we all want in. Because the truth is, we think if there is eternal life, then we want it. And if there's a good one and a bad one, then we want the good one. (laughs) What does Jesus tell them about this food that endures then? Food that results in eternal life. Well, they ask him, they say, well, what must we do? What work is it that God requires? He's told them not to work for food that perishes, but to work for this food that will result in eternal life. And they go, okay, sounds cool. What do we have to do? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. Believe in the one God has sent. That word believe, just it sounds kind of... Shallow <laughs> to us. You think like, believe, What well, just sort of believe he existed or like what do we mean by that? Well that word underneath it, it means to put your trust in or to put your hope in, to put your faith in the one he has sent. To put your trust in Jesus, to rely on him, to depend on him. That's the kind of belief we're talking about. And they think, okay, sounds reasonable, but why should we believe you? They say to Jesus effectively, why should we trust you? So they ask him, what sign then will you give? If that's true, that that you can give us food that will endure to eternal life, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they're they're a bit, you know, (laughs) they thought quite a lot of themselves, actually, when it comes down to it. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is a slightly hilarious slash tragic exchange, depending on your perspective. Bear in mind that Jesus has just fed 5,000 people from a couple of loaves and fish, miraculous bread from heaven, and a very short period of time afterwards, they're saying to him, what sign are you going to give us (laughs) that you're who you say you are? Because our ancestors, God provided food for them miraculously. (laughs) You think, are you that stupid? Like, seriously, you've just seen him do it, and you're going, well, you know, Moses did it in the wilderness. What sign are you going to give? It's just like, this is crazy. It's almost like they're just, they're hooked up on the food. Like, they're... (laughs) They're still after a free meal. Moses gave our ancestors manna from heaven in the wilderness. What are you going to do? And Jesus says this to them. Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He's trying to shift their focus from what you stick in your mouth to something more important. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus clears things up first and foremost and makes sure that God gets the credit for the miraculous provision of bread in the desert and not Moses. And he says it's God who gives true bread from heaven, true bread. Bread that does what? I mean, this is extraordinary, that gives life to the world sounds like good bread right it does sound like good bread doesn't it i think i want some of that bread bread from heaven that gives life to the world that's no ordinary food and they agree they think that sounds like good bread too so they say sir they said always give us this bread like, if you've got it, we want it. Always give us this bread. Like the bread on the hillside, that must have been different because that didn't do that. Always give us this bread. They want it. And Jesus brilliantly has set them up. <laughs> He's set them up. They've no idea what they're really saying. They, they're like, <laughs> they've no idea what they're really talking about. And here comes the punchline. Here comes the punchline. This is where we really get to know Jesus in his own words. What does he say then about himself? Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me And still you don't believe. They'd been with him. They'd seen the miracle on the mountainside. All those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I shall lose none of all those he has given to me. But raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is everyone who looks to the Son or who looks to Jesus and believes in Him, remember what we said about that word belief, and puts their trust in Him, depends on Him, relies on Him, puts their faith in Him, everyone who does that shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. (laughs) This is an extraordinary statement and it starts with two short seemingly to us innocuous words i am jesus declared to them i am and we're going to pause there before we say what he said because actually those two short words i am are of absolutely immeasurable importance you see The normal way to say, I am, as Jesus would have been speaking, and the normal way it would have been written, recorded for us in Greek, is just one word. It's one word. That just means, I am. So normally, if someone said, I am, it's just one word. But Jesus adds another word in front of it. Ego which means I. It could almost sound like he stuttered. It's it's a really odd way of phrasing something. He says, I, I am. And you think, that's really weird. What's that about? Why on earth would you not just use the standard I am? Why say it like that? Well, it's not an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It, It wasn't a stutter. It's not incidental. It's far, far from that it's a really rare sentence structure or like phrase structure that's only used a handful of times in the bible and it's exactly the way god reveals himself to moses at the burning bush when moses encounters god in the burning bush in the old testament and he asks who he is, and God responds out of this bush that's on fire but not being consumed as the presence of God's there. And God speaks to him out of the bush, and it's exactly the same structure. It's the same format as he says, I am. See, to us, that seems kind of peculiar. But when he said it about himself, his original Jewish audience Who would have known, like they knew, like they knew, that God was the great I am, the one who revealed himself as the eternal I am. When Jesus said, I am, in that way, they would have noticed. They would have noticed. It was a very thinly veiled way of saying, I'm God. It was about as close to saying, I'm God, as Jesus could get without actually saying it in that way. So he starts by declaring to them, by the way, (laughs) I'm God. I, I am. You can imagine them in a moment almost doing a double take. (laughs) Some of those who really knew their scriptures and they'd gathered to Jesus and were starting to look to him as a teacher and they knew how God had spoken about himself and in this moment as Jesus says it but he he doesn't stop he carries on you can almost imagine them doing a double take wait hang on just did he just did did he actually just was it did was that maybe well maybe he did stutter no he didn't they did he actually said that about himself Jesus declares in this moment that he's not just a prophet, he's not just a good teacher, he says to them, I am God made flesh, come to be amongst you, come to meet with you, come to rescue you, come to make it possible for you to have relationship with God for now and for eternity. It's amazing. And actually over these next the rest of this series we're going to look at six more occasions where Jesus says something about himself and uses again this I am statement this declaration that he is God so as God what does he say about himself he says I am the bread of life I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, whoever has faith in me will never go hungry and never be thirsty. Whoever looks to the Son, whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. That's an amazing thing to say. He's not talking about physical hunger. Remember, he said right at the start, he said, don't work for like physical bread that's going to go stale and moldy, work for something more lasting, more enduring. Work for something that will satisfy you at the deepest level, that you won't hunger and thirst anymore. And just in case the penny hasn't dropped to them about what he's saying, he carries on. We'll read from verse 47. It says, Very truly, it's like, guys, in case you didn't get it yet, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me, trusts in me, puts their hope in me, has eternal life. Because I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's talking about himself. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This, is, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Even the bread that God provided from heaven in the wilderness for his people was not eternally satisfying. They got hungry again. In fact, actually, they also died. (laughs) It didn't result in eternal life. They got old and they died. But, she says, here is bread. I am bread. (laughs) That anyone might eat and not die. I'm living bread provision from heaven whoever eats this flesh will live forever and they were understandably struggling at this phrase because up until the point that he says this bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world you you could kind of be with him and then you think ah oh, that's a bit of a weird thing to say you're talking about eating bread and now you've just said, this bread is my flesh. Oh, what is going on? <laughs> this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And, and his listeners understandably struggle at this point. Even if they were with him till then, they think, like, this is weird. This sounds like cannibalism. And they asked the questions that we would probably all be asking they say how can this man give us his flesh to eat They're like this is really weird like what on earth is going on what do you mean eat like what <laughs> and it's a fair question how can this man give us his flesh to eat you think yeah like how can he because i'm confused that's just strange This has all got very odd very quickly. But Jesus doesn't back away. He presses it further. And he says, verse 53, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This, pointing at himself, (laughs) is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Think, I mean, it sounds amazing, but it still sounds crazy. What do you mean? Well, what does he mean? What did he mean when he said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. You're going to die just like your ancestors died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Well, this is where we join everything Jesus has said to them together. Because eating is believing. Drinking is believing. Eating is putting trust in. Drinking is putting trust in. He promises eternal life to those who believe in him. He's already said that, hasn't he? Yeah? He says, this is the work the Father's given for you that you would believe, that you would trust in. See, bread is a staple. Jesus is using this staple food that people eat for survival as a picture to tell us that he is essential for spiritual life we we use bread as like a shortcut for food don't we in our talking even when as jesus taught people how to pray he said you say give us this day our daily bread it's not like just about bread although there's definitely more meaning to that passage as Jesus taught people how to pray. Uh, But it's about food. It's about provision. Our, Our daily sustenance, what we need in order to get through the day. And Jesus says, just as you eat food in order to survive physically, in order that you won't faint and die. So you trust in me, believe in me, put your hope in me, put your faith in me. You eat food to survive because your life literally depends on it. You trust in Jesus, put your hope in him because your life literally depends on it. Well, believe what? (laughs) Trust what? Have faith in, in what? Believe, what did he say? He said that his flesh, this bread from heaven for the life of the world, he said he'd come. They would bring life to the world. Well, believe that he came. And believe that Jesus' death, the breaking of his body at the cross and the spilling of his blood for us, did actually pay the penalty for your sin. See, each one of us has fallen short of God's perfect plan for humanity. In fact, actually, each one of us has fallen short of even our own standards. (laughs) There are times when you know that you don't even meet your own standard. And you think, oh gosh, I've done it again. (laughs) Why did I do that? We have fallen so far short of God's perfect standard for humanity. Each one of us has rejected God's way and chosen our own. And the Bible tells us that actually the, the wages for sin or the payment for sin, the, the, what we earn for ourselves by doing things our way instead of God's way, by trusting in our own goodness instead of his, by thinking we know better than he does. What we earn through that is death. And that makes sense. What we earn by rebelling against God is death. Eternal separation from the giver of life. If you reject the giver of life, it makes sense that what you receive instead is death. That sounds heavy, (laughs) but there's good news. See, there's good news, because Jesus came, the bread from heaven. He came, and actually, even though he knew no sin, he walked completely blamelessly, without fault, without blemish. He didn't even think one wrong thought. I mean, like man, to, to live with a completely pure thought life. Extraordinary, right? To never once think something you shouldn't. To never once lash out in unjust anger. To never once, yeah, perfect. And even though he had done absolutely nothing wrong, he went to the cross and took your sin upon himself as though it were his own. He owned it for himself. He took it on himself as though he'd done it all. What you earned with your sin, death, what every one of us has earned, Jesus took on our behalf at the cross so that you might receive the gift of God, eternal life. And what do you need to do to accept it? What's the work that you need to do? Jesus has already told us. Believe. <laughs> Believe in him. Trust in him. Accept that that's what he did. And say, I want that exchange for myself. Jesus, thank you that you came. And that you were prepared to, to take my shame, my sin, my guilt on yourself as though it were your own. <laughs> and to bear that to death on the cross. The penalty that was rightly mine. Thank you that you did that. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for my rebellion? Would you make that exchange? Would you give me your spotless righteousness in exchange for my filth and shame that you took to the cross? And he says, yes, (laughs) gladly. So that in the truest sense, you will never hunger or thirst again. Eating is believing. At our deepest level as humans, our, our most fundamental need is to be made right with God. We read, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, another time when Jesus has gathered people and is teaching them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this to them. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Or well, how? He's looking at it for us in this passage. Because when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you, when you hunger and thirst to be made right with God and you trust in Jesus... You will be satisfied. But sadly, we can miss it. And this is where we kind of get into some of the nitty gritty of this stuff in our lives. Because actually, we can miss it just like the people who wanted a belly full of food, who chased him across the lake, missed it. And we do it all too often and all so easily. Because actually, wanting Jesus to bless you is not the same thing as believing in him. Wanting Jesus to bless you is not the same thing as believing in him. We can come to Jesus with all sorts of appetites, all sorts of desires, longings. And it's... It's kind of funny or tragic. These people, they were pursuing Jesus for food. (laughs) There There was a very immediate, very physical appetite that they wanted satisfying in some way. They wanted bread from heaven again. But they didn't want the bread from heaven. They wanted Jesus to bless them with another miraculous provision, but they didn't actually want Jesus. They wanted what he could add to them, what he could give to them. But they didn't really want him, for him, for who he was. They didn't desire a relationship with him, to be right with God. They just wanted him to bless them. They came to him for a free meal. I guess my question is, how about you? See, they'd met Jesus. They'd seen him perform miracles. But instead of having faith and trusting in him, instead of believing in him, instead of putting their hope in him, instead of looking to him and him alone to satisfy them, they were looking to him to add other things, to fill their appetites. They wanted the blessings he could bring without actually wanting him. And we can come to Jesus or we can come to God for all kinds of things. It can be an easy and a subtle shift. See, we can sometimes start with good desires in it. See, maybe we can come to God and ask for health. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for healing. In fact, sometimes I wish we did it all the more as a church and we believed God for more in terms of healing and miraculous provision. (laughs) But sometimes, we cannot really have much interest in God the rest of the time until there's something He can do for us. (laughs) Like, money's pretty tight this month, all of a sudden our prayer life goes through the roof. (laughs) Someone we know and love is sick, all of a sudden... (laughs) We're praying again. Tragedy comes. Or maybe we just, we want the good life. We're frustrated with our lot, with our situation. And so we are praying to God to change our circumstance, to change our situation so that it would be more pleasant, more comfortable for us. (laughs) Hey, there's nothing wrong with praying about some of those things. There's nothing wrong with asking God for provision. There's nothing wrong with praying for healing. But I guess I want to ask, what do you spend more time on? What do you spend more time on? Like uh, Asking him for stuff or delighting in him for who he is and what he did at the cross for you and the results of that? It's easy to end up in this relationship where we treat God like some kind of magic genie where we chase him across the lake for food we come and ask for all these different things we want in order to try and meet our appetites you know there's some people in some churches who will even like they they build whole ministries off the back of this knowing that like people want stuff so they that, that's how they build their whole thing is that, oh, God, God wants you to be healthy and prosperous and wealthy, and that's His desire for you. And you know, the Bible never promises us that in this life. <laughs> Jesus' first disciples, and like every generation since, have been woeful failures and very distant from God, if that was God's plan and desire for people who follow Him. We can start misquoting the Bible to justify our wish lists as we come to God with all these different things that we're after. And we can take verses and we can say things like, well, well you know, it does, it does say, doesn't it, that he gives us the desires of our hearts. And, and this, is a, this is something I'm desiring, so I'm, you know, I'm standing on God's word. He gives us the desires of our heart. I'm desiring it, so he's going to give it to me. He says it in here. And that's not what that passage is about at all, for goodness sake. But it's amazing how quickly and easily we get there. And the truth is, those things won't ultimately last. They chased him for food and he said, don't work for bread that won't last, that won't endure, that will go stale and moldy and tomorrow you'll chuck it out. Don't chase me for those things. points it out really starkly doesn't he to them he says your ancestors they ate the manna in the desert but they still died (laughs) you think oh all right yeah no i guess they did um (laughs) god provided it actually god provided that manna for them and he gives graciously to us in many ways but those are not the primary things your health Your finances, your family, your food. They're not the primary things. God does provide and bless us in incredible ways in those things. (laughs) But they're not the primary things. In fact, they don't even come close. If they don't come if you never get that thing that you've prayed for, do you know what? Jesus is still enough himself. He is still enough. He is the bread of life. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. See, we can get into this equation with our mind where we start kind of adding to. It. It's kind of like Jesus plus this blessing, plus this thing, plus this thing, then I'll be satisfied. (laughs) Jesus plus nothing is everything. (laughs) You're no richer in the grand scheme of eternity if you go through this life penniless, in ill health, and alone from a human perspective than you are if you're surrounded by all the luxuries the world has to offer if you hope in jesus if you trust in him he is perfect provision for eternal life so i want to ask you is jesus enough for you is jesus enough for you We're going to conclude this afternoon by taking communion together. Bread and wine. (laughs) It's supposed to be a very, very vivid picture of Christ. His body broken for you at the cross. His blood shed for you. And as he gave it to his disciples, he broke bread and gave it to them gave wine to them. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Eat it. Drink it. Remember me. And so we're going to come this afternoon and remind ourselves of our perfect provision from heaven. To remember that we're made righteous because of him right with God because of him that we might never hunger and thirst again that we can be truly satisfied at our deepest level no intimacy with God for now and for all eternity because of what Jesus did and so I want to invite you to come and take the bread and wine in just a moment to come and eat and drink receive eternal life maybe for the first time today. So I do want to say, please don't come and take the bread and wine if you haven't put your trust in Jesus. If you haven't believed in him, if you haven't put your hope in him and your faith in him to save you and make you right with God, then this is just, it's just food <laughs> um, for you. Um, please don't come and take it. This is for those who have put their trust in Jesus, that we might eat and drink and remember. But you can do that today. If you've never done that before, maybe for the first time, before you come, pray where you are. Ask him to forgive you and say, Jesus, I'm, I want to put my trust in you. I'm hungering I'm thirsting after righteousness. Would you satisfy me? And then come and eat and drink and be satisfied with Jesus.